0: Hello and welcome to Ely Saying Something. This time out, I'm joined by Ely for Europe. I've got Virginie. Hi. And Conrad. Hello. I'm going to take you back in time. Friday, 24th of June, 2016. It's the morning after the referendum result. How did you feel?
1: Um, I think to put that into perspective, probably need to think how I felt on the morning of the previous referendum result, the Scottish independent Okay. Referendum. And where what happened was Cameron turned up to say outside Downing Street to say, you know, announced that they won and that now they wanted to bring the um, uh, country back together, and he announced his English votes for English laws, which had not been mentioned at all previously during the campaign. He'd say, "I'm going to take the result and I'm going to twist it in a way that helps build his party's power in England," Uh, and that was. Well that was, that was his answer was he took all the promises that had been promised during the referendum campaign and spun it in a way that helped him personally with his political ambitions and he and said these are at least as important as anything that had been promised about Scotland during the Scottish independence campaign and I remember swearing at the television because at the time the he'd already said that there would be a referendum on EU membership and my thoughts about it were that if you saw that and you didn't really know much about the EU and what it's good or bad for, but, you know it was something you didn't really know or care much about, and you were just going to vote in the EU referendum on the basis of here's how David Cameron responds to winning, probably you'd vote to make sure he didn't get to make a speech like that again. So that put that into perspective as to that started to worry me. Um, during the campaign, um, one of the big uh, promises was that the money that was being um, being sent to the EU currently was going to be sent to the NHS. So I was then thinking, well, what's that money currently spent on? And in terms of money coming back from the EU, good chunk of that goes into subsidising food production, and another good chunk of it goes on supporting uh, subsidising science and engineering research and if that money is then going to be go to the NHS instead then that says that the economic changes that are expected to be uh, to happen as a result of leaving the EU are going to be that they're going to rebalance the economy away from those two things so if you work in food production or science and engineering then it's likely that in the same way as during the 80s, Thatcher rebalanced the economy away from heavy industry, coal mining and so on, towards the banks, that that's gonna happen. That's a likely outcome for how things, that things are gonna be rebalanced again, and it's gonna be away from both farming and science and engineering. And as I work in one of those sectors, my thoughts were, well, who survived best when that happened last time, the rebalancing the economy and you're thinking back to the Alphavida Zane pet generation, so as in the people that are going to survive most readily are going to be those that are prepared to move to find a job. So therefore, to get back to the question of how did I feel on that morning, what I was doing was I was looking for jobs and housing in around Edinburgh and around Dublin.
0: Okay. For younger listeners, Alfida Saint "Pep" was an ITV comedy drama in the early 80s featuring a group of brookies from all around the country, but primarily from the northeast who went to Germany to seek work.
1: Yeah. Look it up on YouTube. Very funny. What did you resolve to do? So that was... So, in terms of what I actually did that day was yeah. that, right, I need to at least consider the option that maybe I need to leave the country. I, that maybe I don't fit in here. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: So that's a drastic choice. Now... We're in 2019. I'm glad
1: to say, as your friend, you're still here. So um, what are you doing now? So I think probably a big change was the... Well, there have been a few, but probably a a big... What made the difference between giving up on Britain and deciding maybe I'd like to fight for its future was the 2017 general election result, where it became apparent that... um, so if you think about you know, democratically, a referendum result can be interpreted w- one of a few different ways, but most likely if there's a, if you think about the, the wisdom of crowds, you know, that the, you ask the electorate a question and you'll get different answers from different people, but on balance, and if enough people answer, you'll get the right-ish zeitgeist being expressed. So the referendum result, you can say, uh, if the, establishment says we'd like you to vote this way and people don't, there are two reasons for what, two main reasons for why that might be the case. The one is that the uh, people actually want what they're being offered. And the other is that maybe it's just a kickback against we don't like the establishment. So how would you determine what that was? You know, which of those is most likely to be what actually happened? Well, Again, using the wisdom of crowds, let's look at the 2017 election result. If it was, if people were happy with the establishment, then they would have given the establishment a majority of seats in Parliament in a general election. That did not happen. Likewise, if they really wanted Brexit to happen, they would have voted for a party that was capable of delivering Brexit and had a plan for it. The evidence so far is that that did not happen. Therefore, that would tend to suggest that the meaning of the referendum result There is at least a strong argument, I would suggest, that the mean mean of the referendum result is that people were unhappy about things, rather than they necessarily had a strong view on wanting to leave the EU. At least taken in the round as to what is the will of the people, as opposed to any particular... It's worth saying at this point, it's not Brexit is perhaps a focus for that. No one's won
0: a working majority since 2005. That's probably a subject for another podcast another time, but... uh, Virginie, if I can turn to you, how did you feel when you saw that result?
2: Yes, I felt probably a little bit like um, I'd been hit by a lorry or something, but to put it back in, in context, um I started to campaign for stronger in in February that okay. year. Um because I happened to sign up, so it was a bit haphazardous. I reckon I, I I knew about the referendum that was probably coming. And I did sign up to hear about what was happening in, in my area. So I did end up at the first Ely Stronger In meeting. Um, and to put it in further context, I'm French. I went into that meeting. You've, expecting not, you've not mentioned that before. <laughs> expecting, um, expecting a very French type of political meeting. I thought there's going to be a room packed of people, very angry. We care and we do... No. <laughs> there was a very low turnout for that first meeting and it was all very tame, not very angry. And, and, and actually that made a difference in my life for much longer than what the term of the referendum was because I basically I want people to care and I want people to get involved. Um, so that was, that was my first real cultural shock actually living in the UK and I've been here since 2004. Okay. So um, that's yeah that 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 was a very significant event uh, for me. And then it happened that somebody to sort of chairs a local group, informally, which I started to do. Uh, and the night before the referendum, I couldn't get any sleep. The night after referendum, I was at the count, so I had two sleepless nights in a row when the result came and I'm like at four o'clock in the morning, basically we knew that leave at one by a fairly narrow margin and we knew that leave at one uh, here um, in East Cambridgeshire. Very narrow. Very, yeah. very, very narrow, narrow margin. Yeah. So it was just, just a feeling of being just gutted, tired, I'll, I'll come back <laughs> to the counts in a second yeah. I'm
0: really interested to hear what the atmosphere was like there. But just for a bit of context, where we are in East Cams, we pretty much was 50-50, slightly in favour of leaving.
2: It was fewer than 1,000 votes. It was 900-something.
0: We're on the fault lines. Our neighbouring local authorities are Cambridge City, of course, Mm -hmm. where there was a very large remain vote. And Forest Heath, to these others, was about 64% uh, from memory, wanted to leave. So I at the time was working in St Andrew Street in Cambridge and I'd walk up to Castle Hill where I parked and I'd see all the, all the, all the Remain posters and then as I drove home through Histon up the 20 pence road I would see them start to merge and as I got closer to my home, um, I, I live in and around Ely, yeah the leave posters start to appear so it was that feeling of really being on the, the fault lines. But you're right, there wasn't a lot of passion as such in the streets in and around that, but British people are capable of that. Um, I remember the poll tax riots. Um, I was a child in the mid 70s, mm-hmm. but I, I remember the social unrest mm-hmm. of the 70s. We have passion, you know, I, we, we I, get I, angry I about that, that, yeah. I have found yeah. it
2: since in many people, mm-hmm. to, to, to be honest. One of the to...
0: problems with the Remain campaign was mm-hmm. that lack of passion, the lack of leadership, I'm sure we'll come on to. But British people can be passionate. Um, It just seems no-one was that passionate about the the EU. Right, so take me back to the count. Where were you? Where were you actually counting the votes?
2: So it was in uh, Suham, actually. Um, At Ross Pierce? Yes, yes. And I don't remember what time we arrived. Maybe 8 o'clock, something like that, and counted all night. It finished really, really late. Um... And results started to, come. they had a TV with, um, with results nationally being broadcast on there. And I have to say the atmosphere was very good over there. Even levers, yeah. strong levers in the area managed not to be too, I don't know, forceful about the results. But we could see the first, I mean, the first results started to come in. We, we knew it was bad. And in fact, the people who were uh, from Stronger who were at the were people who had done a f- very fair bit of campaigning in the area. And we were not sure at all that the results were going to be good.
0: And as it turned out, they weren't. No. So when the result was confirmed mm. in the room, who were you with?
2: I was with a group of people. Um, so official agents uh, observing the the results of the of the process was account actually. So I was there as a stronger in um member, but there were people from Labour and the Lib Dems, the, we all counted all together as the Greens I think were there as well. And yeah, the results were announced and we just basically said, Oh well <laughs> <laughs> And it was no it was it was sad but we were all way too tired at that stage to but the feeling of defeat and the feeling of doom actually was was quite bad and um I got a ride back home to Ely really, uh, with someone um who I I won't name, but he works in agriculture. It's not me, and, I should say, not <laughs> no. me, oh, although work uh, he works in agriculture and we d- we just kept asking lots of questions about what was going to happen, mm. um, in particular uh, um, in relation to uh, EU citizens living in the UK and working in the UK. And so for me, my initial thought was I'm going to have to sort out some paperwork as a EU citizen living in the UK. I didn't realize that I would have to wait very long before I could even do anything about my, my status here. Uh, and, and so for him, it was also about like, workforce on farms. What are they going to do to make sure that we can still get EU citizens to come and do harvest and things like that, uh, which is also not sorted, by the way, three years down the line. No. So, so that, was, uh, that was the initial feeling.
0: But um, at some point, something constructive has happened. Ely for Europe, amongst other groups have been formed. When was the group formed?
2: Very shortly afterwards. Uh, So what happened is Kevin Wilkins was um, a Liberal Democrat in the area, was coordinator for Stronger in the Eastern region, and he happens to be from Ely. And he told me um, a few days before the referendum, I said, you know, we should either celebrate or commiserate in, in some way. And he told me after the results came, so really you should have an event and call it a wake. Turns out that that wake was the best attended strongering event <laughs> we'd ever had, as I was early July right. 16, uh, where 30 people came, I think, to the pub to commiserate. But most of those people also said, actually, things shouldn't end here, now. Um, and I suppose because I'd been informally in charge of the strongering group, I ended up being informally in charge of what very quickly became also informally Ely for Europe. Yeah. What took us quite a bit of time was to actually formalize the group, which we didn't need at first. Um, it took us a very long time to decide what we wanted to do as a group and how we could do it because we were a very early group, actually, and there was no formal structure nationally, no help from any national group because everybody had pretty much given up on the Brexit issues thinking it was a sorted yeah matter it turns out it's not
0: mm. yeah. turns out it's not mm. so the group then forms what type of people does the group attract?
2: any type of people it's, it, it's, we've got people from all walks of life I'm so proud of the, the group for that it doesn't, people from all parties are a few people and from none, none actually yeah uh, I reckon that the bulk of people in the group actually do not um, support a, p- a p- particular party yeah. um,
0: most just... people aren't members of political parties yeah. it's worth saying, yeah. and um, political party members do not have the monopoly on our politics
2: um, We do have a core of active very active members, and they often are actually party members of the Lib Dems, the the Greens, even the Conservatives, but because they have a lot of experience of campaigning already and they're not scared of it. Uh, A lot of people who don't belong to a party are a bit daunted by the idea of doing any form of campaigning, although they find out when they try that they learn very quickly. Yeah. And and there's nothing scary about it. But we have people from all social backgrounds, um, different cultural backgrounds, several nationalities, um. Yeah, all kinds of jobs, waiters, chefs, engineers, doctors, yeah. you know, it doesn't... Um...
0: And the group's been running pretty much since the referendum result. Yeah. Conrad, what's been your highlights on a personal level so far?
1: Well, I think there are two, probably. One big, one small. So on the big, the subject to debate exactly how many hundred thousand, but the vast march in London was... Uh, that was quite impressive and big feeling of solidarity and people from all around the country saying, ah, oh, you know, wherever they're from, some from quite um, areas that had voted quite strongly for leave, you know, it's like oh, I'm with my people, as it were. Um, so that just in t- terms of sh- sending a, a strong message both to Parliament, the UK Parliament, but also as seen by Europe, um, that was quite interesting. There was something very British about. We're going to show how European we are by having a really big queue. That, that, I think, <laughs> um, and then on a small level, um, doing the Brexitometer, not because of what the result is. To some extent, the point of a Brexitometer is not how many dots can you get in any box. It's a come and talk to us. It's a thing, a focus point for people to come and talk to you. And I think doing the Brexitometer in Ely and having people that most certainly voted leave. Come up and have a conversation often it will start with one of a small number of taglines about don't you respect democracy or whatever, but that's the starting point to a conversation, and those conversations you quite frequently but well, usually they'd end up leaving quite quite happy actually you'd agree to disagree on brexit maybe but the but that you find that there were common points to, and often one of their main beefs. That, you know why they voted Brexit was they felt they weren't listened to and if you've just had a 10-15 minute conversation on a broad range of subjects nominally about politics with them it's a bit difficult for them to then say yeah but you're not listening to me because you've just then had a um, you know, a both sides having a reasonable civil debate Um, I don't know how that works out longer term but that gives me some hope for the future that such conversations are still possible
0: that's great Okay, so Virginie, uh, what's the group done that you're most proud of?
2: It's brought lots of people together who would not have come together otherwise, so just to campaign for EU membership or against a hard Brexit at the very least. We've got a large group of people who we get on and interact, who wouldn't otherwise, and it normally goes very well, uh, so I'm really, really proud of that. It actually also, uh, in a sense, it's put Ely on the map for lots of people who didn't even know Ely was, or how to pronounce the name of the town. And Because um, I, I talk a lot to lots of other local groups from around the UK. and uh, In the
0: interest of balance, I should say this is England's finest city and we are known throughout the world. Thank you. I
2: agree, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But lots of people in the UK did not know about Ely. Well,
0: well, I'm they, shocked and stunned by they, these claims. I
2: have heard about Ely for Europe, all the other local groups. And every time I mention Ely for Europe, like, oh, yes, I have heard about Ely for Europe. You're a very active group, are well, you? You're doing good and everything. So I'm really proud of my, my, home, my new home city in that respect as well.
0: Yeah, it should be. I think what the group has shown, looking at it sort of semi-objectively from almost outside, is that, yeah, there's people with a range of political backgrounds, a range of social backgrounds, and actually a range of objectives. Some people want to revoke, Mm -hmm. some people want a softer Brexit. Yeah, so there's a range of, and some people want that that second vote that I'm sure we're going to get on to. Okay, before I ask about a second referendum or a third referendum for older listeners, Conrad, Brexitometer, do you respect democracy?
1: Oh, I would already covered that to some extent. Whipsy. Well, you haven't <laughs> said if you respect it or not.
0: You've been very evasive.
1: Oh, sorry. well, it turns out, yes, I do. Uh, I guess one of the questions is, but we haven't had a referendum, or uh, the public have not been asked whether they're happy with what we currently have, the deal we currently have. We've never been asked that.
0: Okay, we've been asked we, if we wanted to leave. What no one's said is, ah, no, how do you want to leave? Ah, well, or what okay. does leave actually look ah, like? Is no, that what you're my,
1: saying? No. What I'm saying is we haven't been asked about... We were asked, did we want David Cameron's deal? Or would we rather leave?
0: Mm, that's you framing it like that. I think... Virginie, so, What would you say? I, I think people thought it's in or out. It's an in-out referendum, as the way it was described. I can't even remember the question on the paper.
1: So, but in terms of the framing, the, I guess the framing starts with um, 2006, David Cameron, in order to win the Conservative leadership, promised that he'd take the Conservatives out of the centre-right grouping within the European Parliament. Yeah. Um, 2009, um, along with his then-shadow Europe um, secretary, Mark Francois, David Cameron moved, um, did indeed go ahead and move the Conservative Party out of the centre-right grouping in the EU Parliament. And that was them moving the UK Conservative Party out of the centre-ground And the most influential group within the EU. They were deliberately placing themselves out on a limb to some extent. Um,
0: But, simply, in those ballot boxes around the country, many people wandering into them on either side of the debate probably not that aware of what the European groupings are in the European Parliament. There's a Labour MEP, just lost his seat, called David Martin. He's been in... The European Parliament, he was in from 1984. I defy most people to draw a picture of him, right, or point out his contribution to public life. Most of us aren't actually. I'm not saying he hasn't made one. What I'm saying is most of us aren't really that interested in it on a granular level, day to day. People were voting about going in or or going out. So it's a fair so challenge. I've had so it. Stood next to that Brexit officer as well. I mean, do do we respect democracy?
1: So the other point about that is that um, so. In terms of the referendum question, yeah. whereas it sounds a simple, do you want A or B? Yeah. When you think about what the framing of it was it, within context, what does that question mean? Um, when asked about what the question should be, the um, uh, uh oh, the the the, uh, the people that were responsible for asking, uh, saying what the question should be. Yeah. Um. They one of the points they made um was that the um. Electoral Commission, that's the name I'm thinking of. The, uh, the, one of their points they made in that um, advice, they made reference to the um, Venice Commission Code of Good Conduct on Referendums. Uh, one of the points in there is that the, um, the referendum question should have unity of form. You should not ask, uh, do you want A, a specifically worded amendment, or do you want B, a general question of principle? And where the reason I brought up it, the, why it was on David Cameron's particular, um, uh, his particular vision of Europe is that was a particular thing, whereas leave was a huge, broad, this could be more or less anything from Norway to Ukraine or beyond.
0: Possibly, possibly. Look, the reason Mrs Thatcher and Clement Attlee didn't like referenda is what you're talking about there. Um, they both describe them as a device of dictators and demagogues, yeah. And that's what they are. Dictatorships have referenda all the time. Democracies, by and large, we don't, really. Uh, we're a parliamentary democracy. We, we, that's another podcast for another time. Um, the
1: point on that is that, um, unless you're saying Switzerland... Yeah. Uh, but the point about Switzerland... But this is a very different democracy. Are we're not going to get into that They now. have... There, is, there are clear ways of how ref- in, in the case of Switzerland or Ireland they have a written constitution and there are definite ways as to how referenda fit into their wider scheme of democracy. Possibly and although Ireland
0: the- Ireland are not above holding the referendum again as they've done on European treaties if they don't get the result they want. So in the case
1: yeah. of well there's two points on that. In yeah. the case of that when they have had second referenda that was on further further amended yeah. points. And the other is currently or last I saw in the most recent what Um, polling of what people around Europe think about the EU, Ireland came first or second for being the most positive about Europe.
0: It will do. As someone with a bit of Irish in me and my grandmother's from Dublin, yeah, Ireland's benefited enormously, or the republics benefited enormously from the EU membership. It's as simple as that, right?
1: Not quite as simple as that, in that if you sit and watch Irish television and you see how the EU is... um, Presented on uh, in the media in Ireland compared to how it's presented in Britain, they are very different things.
0: I'm sure they are, barely at all.
2: To get back to that question that you asked, that referendum, the question that was asked. Actually, it was very interesting to talk to people before the vote, uh, which I did, and I talked to hundreds of leavers. So what happened in the stronger end campaigning is we did try. Quite a bit to convince soft leavers as we talked to them. If people told us they were going to vote remain, we just pretty much gave them a pat on the back. I was like, kind of nice, you know, remember to vote on the 23rd. But soft leavers we talked to quite a lot, especially when we did strictly flitting. Um, and when we asked them, okay, you're going to vote leave, what outcome do you want? The answers varied widely. What I Almost never heard was I just want out of the EU without a deal. Everybody I talked to out of hundreds of, of potential leave voters had some form of deal in mind. Um, and I, it's interesting because that narrative has changed quite a lot. And, and a lot of people who voted leave would probably now tell you they want no deal. Not all of them, but um, a lot of them would. We wouldn't have. Back yeah, in the I, I just don't think the deal.
0: Was, so, was a feature of but, the debate at what all. It, so, uh,
2: what it means is the question was misleading. And similarly, actually, because it was too vague. Yeah, and, and that's
0: it, the difficulty of referendums. I should I, say, in the interest of balance, we're giving the, uh, the Conservatives yeah. a fair kicking. Um, all the major parties acquiesced, rolled over and just allowed the referendum to take place, despite the warning from heavyweights like Attlee and Thatcher that the referendums aren't what we do here.
2: And along similar lines, actually voting for Remain was also a little bit strange because a lot of people voted to Remain because they really wanted to Remain in the EU as such. Others because they want to Remain and Reform and they really believe in that. So there was no consensus in, in any camp, really. I think, I, think
0: what, um, I think as many people as went into those polling booths had as many reasons to vote either way. I think we're trying to graft things on about deals, et cetera, that just weren't there in people's minds.
2: And and then the final things that we need to talk about is uh, people were extremely misled by the press and by some politicians about, about what the EU actually does, what it doesn't do, where uh, UK money might go and uh, not come back or uh things like that and obviously the lies that we now know about some of them were particularly shocking because for example the three hundred and fifty millions for the NHS The bus they they came they, they came back on that the day after. The day after I remember uh I'm pretty sure I remember Nigel Farage saying, Oh I never promised there would be that much money. Of course no. <laughs>
0: I can't actually re- was there uh, even he a bus didn't
1: because uh, he was not in Lee Yeah. How about
2: you um,
0: Let's not get onto the bus. I can't even remember if there was a bus. I mean, the whole thing became so distorted. Mm. But, do you know what? We talk about the press misleading us, all the rest of us. We somehow saw through it. Now, I don't think we're any more clever than anyone else in the population. We we need to probably get off that tactic a bit, yeah? Mm. What really happened was the Remain campaign... Well, let's get on to my... I'm going to skip a question. I've got a question for you down towards the end, okay?
2: Mm.
0: What lessons can Remain learn from the first campaign?
2: So lots of lessons actually um the first one would be for any national campaign to learn a lot more from grassroots movements from the volunteers up uh, which they're trained to do but obviously it's not easy when you're a national body coordinating things Um, another thing is to not be as complacent as we were. we were extremely complacent in the stronger in
0: i'm going to hold my hand up i was incredibly com- complacent i can remember like joking to a colleague sat next to we worked in Saint Street at the time and we were referring to the whole thing as votey mcvote face to us it was just just a giggle i did but, not take it remotely seriously do
2: you know i i did personally.
1: working here in, working in ely i was concerned from a good three weeks or more away Mm.
2: I I I took it I took it very seriously because I personally felt threatened by the ideas that leave could happen, and I didn't want to take a risk because as a foreigner living in this country, I thought I might lose my right of residence, and it was my initial. Yep. Gut feeling. You've got
0: jeopardy or skin in the yes. game. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and it wasn't a, a risk worth taking at any point for me to just sit there and do nothing. Um. And it's interesting that people I talk to normally, who, who tend to vote Leave, don't talk about immigration as being a problem. But I'm clearly not British when I speak to them, so there's some things they don't bring up because all of a sudden they've got somebody in front of them they don't want to offend. I don't, I don't know, but I did, I did feel threatened by the by the potential outcome of a leave vote. Um, but but I knew that we were complacent because we didn't. First of all, we didn't engage with leafleters half as much as we should have, and not at a serious level. So it's true talking about facts doesn't particularly work. What we ended up doing in a lot of cases is trying to lecture people. Yeah. Um, but I'm also quite forgiving about that because it was mostly due also to a lack of time we were stuck in it with just weeks to try and achieve some things that UKIP, for example, had years to work on. Yeah. Um, and, and we had no clear strategy and, and, and yeah, not, just not enough time.
0: Not enough time. Um, even in a short space of time, mm. if you've got a very specific agenda, I'm edging myself towards the door here, mm. the Brexit party mm. garnered a lot of momentum, pun intended. Change UK did not. Right Now, one of them had a very clear leadership, for good or ill, and one of them had a very clear message, for good or ill. The other had really no real leadership and no real clear message. So, Conrad, who, if anyone, should lead the Remain campaign in any subsequent vote? A
1: fanny springs to mind.
0: I don't know this guy at all. He's got a big social media presence, does he? He not he? There was a bit of hoo-ha around the Peterborough campaign, but I've got to be honest, I don't know him.
1: So, in terms of a good chunk of what he does is he goes around and he actually engages with... So, um, leave voters. So, he'll go and literally take a trestle table and set up a stool outside...
0: Well, he did it in oh, Peterborough Market yeah. Square. Yeah. That's how yeah. I became aware so, of it. Yeah. So,
1: therefore so my reason for suggesting maybe him is he he knows his stuff quite well as to how the EU operates and for any given argument he'll likely have a response that isn't what will make people decide it's that through his that he spent sufficient amount of time actually talking to people who voted leave that I think he might have some understanding as to why they did that and I think that was missing from the Remain campaign previously.
0: Yeah, I mean, leadership in general was, was missing. Virginie, any, any ideas?
2: Um, I, uh, Femi seems like a good choice to me, but uh, in, in, for what it represents, because I actually uh, believe that uh, somebody who's not a career politician would work better.
0: We all claim we hate career politicians, but we don't really. People like Charles Kennedy, very popular figure uh, amongst the public, he did nothing other than be an MP. That's a ridiculous thing I've said there. But what I mean is his career was well, he, he, mm-hmm. he was a politician. Jezza is a career politician. Um, do we really hate career politicians? Some people seem to love them. What does Fermi do for a living?
2: He's a student.
0: Yeah. I don't know how well he's going to play on the streets of Wisbeach or Boston. I, I really don't know.
2: To uh, You're asking to lead to lead a m- movement, or maybe maybe Conrad and I also is thinking about it in terms of coordinating a national mm. campaign because we've been down to the nitty-gritty on that and we know how important it is to have somebody who can come up with a strategy for local groups, something to unite. So maybe we're thinking about it as much in terms of someone who would be able to lead all those groups at once, as well as represent them yeah. and be the face of them. Not just be the face of I'm the, face face. the face. just, okay. just to somebody to be the face of a main movement. Maybe fame is not the best.
0: Um, I'm not saying he is. Not. I'm just trying to be objective. But it does strike me as odd that no one has been able to, because there's clearly a will. There are clearly a people willing to be led, Yeah, wanting to follow. Leadership is easy. Right, Jez will tell you this. You find out where people are going and you just vaguely stand in front of them and signal your virtues. Getting people to follow you is really difficult. So actually, you've already got that movement. I'm just disappointed that not enough people seem to have the moral courage to get themselves at the head of it and own it.
2: I suppose that what we've we've been looking for for the Remain movement is somebody who's charismatic enough and everybody can agree on a very broad consensus now that is and difficult and that is very difficult and to be honest on the remain side i can't remember us having anyone charismatic enough um like okay i hate Nigel farage but i have to give it to him he is extremely it's so much charismatic. it's, it's mad um we had no one uh, on the Remain side, even even before the referendum, early days, and we were to be honest, and you'll, you'll laugh now, you'll laugh especially now in the first few weeks there was one man who hadn't said anything, and I was hoping he'd come up for Remain and be that charismatic figure it was Boris Johnson Why not?
0: He was the socially liberal mayor of London back then. Uh,
2: yeah. But obviously that didn't happen at all, did it? So, But we, we, we need we still need somebody with that much charisma, and we don't have that person. The closest Um, is maybe Mike Goldsworthy. Yes. He's he's the Chair of Scientists for Europe.
0: For the benefit of the tape, I have a blank look upon my (laughs) Fenland face. Okay. Um, I've got some research to do. If we get that second referendum, would you have won? Is that your objective achieved? No. Ah, No. Is it never over? (laughs)
2: I mean um as an individual maybe, um as as a group definitely not. I um I really believe that e for Europe is set up to be something a lot bigger than getting a second referendum and and winning it or not. Uh, but really the group um is an interest group and everybody's interested in EU membership and its benefits and promoting uh, the benefits of EU membership. So if there was a second referendum with a leave-remain type of question and remain one this time, ELE EU for Europe would not be done. And we know we've learned that Euroscepticism will last, it'll continue. So yeah. we, can keep, we can keep talking about it. And I, I reckon it's important. It is a topic that was barely talked about before 2016 um
0: yeah and that that for me is you know I'm not as as passionately involved in this cause as you guys are and that's for me always been my kind of my lack of understanding around this is that I think before the referendum there was a hardcore of people who always wanted to leave almost had a pathological need to leave the EU and there were some fringe people if you like who were real enthusiasts for the European project but the great
1: I don't think either had more than 20% of the population. I think
0: you're right, and I think it's way below that. I think we might be in, like, single digits. So this, yeah. this is anecdote. I haven't got any evidence for well, this.
1: Well, certainly there's been um, polling in uh, British social attitudes. The people that said that um, Europe or the EU was the most important thing for them, up until 2015, 2016, the number of people that said EU or the Europe was the most important thing as far as they were concerned chugged along below 10% for about the decade prior to that. There was a brief spike when a load of Eastern European countries had joined, and it was a very brief spike Mm. um, that then disappeared again, then in whenever that was, 2004, 2005. And actually a bit before that again, it it was back below 10%. So for most people, the people that really think that this is the most important thing in their lives, up until the referendum getting called for all but 10% of the population most
0: people didn't know or care. And to link it back to what you said about Ireland, if I'm going to try and move our positions towards each other, yeah, the EU has clearly been transformative for the Republic. People maybe, for the benefit they take, Conrad and I are in our mid-40s. Okay, so for the, the generation, say, 10, 15 years older than us, actually the, the EU was probably transformative for Britain. I don't remember the 70s. I don't remember the conditions of us going in there. No doubt there's been a massive benefit of EU membership, and it, you talked about the research, the food production, that hasn't really been sold to us ever. And, and therein lies the problem. So all you need is a, is a network of focused um, individuals who can win hearts and minds and a charismatic figurehead, and you're in. So good luck with all that. So what are Ely for Europe planning next?
2: So at a very concrete uh, level, we have a group meeting on the 26th uh, of June. So everybody's invited to that as ever. Um, you can get in touch with us by emailing e 4 europe at com or through social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and
0: where will the meeting be held?
2: So at a local pub, which is uh, so a high flyer. We always go there um, because... It's That's great. on
1: Newham Street in you know.
2: It's Yeah, it's, it's, we're welcome there, I think. We've always met there. And um, and it's very open. It turns out that by meeting like that, rather than renting a room actually, we, we ended up talking to very random people we wouldn't have talked to otherwise, which is, which is nice. Um, and also we make our group meetings a bit of a social occasion every time, uh, which I believe is important. Um, just to have time to talk. Not just that, I wish we were a lot more myself because I'm, I'm that kind of person always doing things but it, the group can't function just like that. Um, and our next so the summer there will definitely be some leafleting. We'll be joining potentially a couple of marches, rallies, um, helping other local groups. So we work with all the Eastern groups actually normally we know what's happening and if anyone is listening to the podcast for example who is not from familiar and they want to find out about their local groups they're very welcome to email us and we can put them in touch uh, we, we work very very closely with style coms for europe um, cambridge stays norfolk for eu the suffolk eu alliance there's a new group in new market now as well uh no, that's interesting peterborough open in britain there's lots of yeah. know, groups uh everywhere actually. Nothing yet. Can I just actually give a little shout out just in case? Yes you can. Nothing yet in North Cambridgeshire, the Finland area. We're looking to uh, to find people who would be interested in starting a new group. I've got a bunch of people who would quite like to try something around March West Beach and they won't dare do it because they feel a bit isolated maybe. So at the moment I'm trying to put people in touch. So get in touch. Okay. If from
0: there. So if people want to get involved, they can reach out to the group on Facebook and on Twitter. Yeah. And, and by email. And by email. So that's Ely for Europe at hotmail.com. Yeah. com. That's absolutely superb. Right. Many thanks for your time. You've been Ely saying something. If you're Ely saying something, please do get in touch.